I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. And we will read verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Let us hear the word of God. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithe of all that I get, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let us say a short word of prayer before we dig into this passage. Father God, we thank you for this word and we ask you, O Lord, that you would illumine our hearts and our minds so that we may see the glory and beauty of Christ in your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. There was a study conducted in the U.S. several years ago in which random people were asked if they believed that they were sinners. And majority of the people said, yes, of course, we are sinners. But they qualified their answer. They said, nobody is perfect. Remember this. We are sinners, but nobody is perfect. And when the interviewers probed deeper and said this, so, if you are sinners, then it means that you're on your way to hell. That's when interviewers faced resentment. Those who were interviewed started justifying themselves. They started saying, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm not as bad as that other person. I'm not a killer. I'm not a terrorist. I'm not a robber. So, maybe after all, I'm not a sinner. We can make several conclusions from this study, and I'd like to present three of them to you. First is that people are okay to admit that they're sinful, as long as it's collective sinfulness. Like, you know, when they say, oh, we're all sinners, yes, yes. Second conclusion is this. People are actually not comfortable with recognizing their sinfulness as soon as it becomes personal. People can get involved in endless talks about the evil of the world. Oh, this world is evil, people are evil. But as soon as you point out some sin in their life, their personal sin, they start justifying themselves. Third conclusion is this. The definition of sin and the definition of righteousness are very vague and depend much on what kind of question a particular ask, a person is asked. So, when you say, I'm sinful, or when you say, I'm righteous, what do you really mean? 
I wonder what you think about this study, where you find yourself in this study. Do you say about yourself, I'm not that bad of a person? I want us to think about some questions today, this morning. Questions like this. Are we to measure our sinfulness in comparison to others? Are we to measure our righteousness in comparison to others? What is the criterion for righteousness and sinfulness? Do men themselves decide if they're sinful or if they're righteous? What does God say about all of this? I would like to address all these questions today from the passage that we've read. And I'd like to look at it under three headings. The righteous God, the wretched man, and the reconciling God-man. Righteous God, wretched man, and reconciling God-man. Let me start with the context of the passage that we've just read. It says in our passage that two men went up into the temple to pray. In the parable, the place where they went to pray is specifically mentioned. It was the temple. And the only daily service in the temple area was the atonement offering that took place at dawn. Each service began outside the sanctuary at the great high altar with the sacrifice for the sins of Israel. A lamb would be brought and sacrificed and his blood would be sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest would go into the inner court. And when he disappears into the, in, into the temple, when he is in the temple, that's when people start offering their personal prayers to God. And that's where we find our two people praying. The Pharisee and the tax collector. Priest is in the temple. People are offering their personal prayers to God. And that's where we find our Pharisee and the tax collector. And let me read again the account of the tax collector. It's found in verses 13 and 14. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Let's spend some time looking at his prayer. And then we'll compare his prayer with the prayer of the Pharisee, and we'll see many interesting things. Have you noticed how the tax collector started his prayer? How did he start his prayer? He said, God. That's the first word in his prayer. God. It's very biblical to start a prayer with addressing the one you have a meeting with. When you pray, what do you do? You come to meet with God. And if you come to meet with God, you address Him. You say, God. It's the essence of prayer. If you don't address God in your prayer, it's not a prayer anymore. What makes a prayer a prayer? It's the recognition of God as who He is. You say, God, you are a God and we are not. Therefore, I'm on my, I'm, I am on my knees and I'm praying to you. I'm begging you for mercy. I'm worshiping you. I'm asking you. Maybe you, you think to yourself, it's such an obvious thing. Why, why are you telling us this? Of course, when we pray, we address God. But you know what? Many people... When they say that they pray, they just recite words. They say the right words, but they don't put any meaning into them. They just say something to have some relief in their conscience, to calm their conscience. 
Some people, when you ask them if they pray, they would say, oh yes, I talk to God now and then. And if I hear that, I'm almost sure that those people, they don't really pray. Because they address God casually. They speak about prayer in casual terms. And that's what I see in the prayer of a Pharisee in our passage. Let me show it to you. Verse 11 and 12 say this. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Let's look at some similarities in the prayer of a tax collector and the Pharisee. First, have you noticed that they both start their prayer with the same word? They address God. So they know the law of God. They know that when you come to meet with God, you address Him first. You say God. You start with worshiping God, with realizing and recognizing who you're speaking to. So he also starts with addressing God. And then he gives thankfulness to him. He, he says, I'm, 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 I'm thanking you, God. God, I thank you. So until this part in the prayer, we can say that they are praying very alike. Their prayer is very similar. But I would tell you this, that after this part in prayer, Pharisee's prayer goes a very wrong direction. There is a big problem in the prayer of the Pharisee, which shows the problem in his heart. He has many people who say, I talk to God now, and then addresses God as if God was a mere man. He might not express it in the way he uses the words, because he uses the same word, God, but he definitely expresses it in the content of his prayer. Let me show it to you. As the Pharisee goes on in his prayer, he shows that there are actually two righteous people in his prayer. One is him, another is God. So he basically says this, God, I know you are God, I admit that and I acknowledge that, and I say, yes, you are righteous, but I'm righteous too. Look how, how, how often I fast, look how much I tithe, so I'm righteous too. And you know what it looks like? It, it looks like somebody is entering into the court of a king and comes up to the throne of the king and says, king, you know what? I'm a king too. Because, you see, righteousness is something what is God's. It's, it's inherently God's, but not, not our, it's not ours. It's like, you know, when you speak about God, you say God is righteous. It's His description. It's inherently His. When you speak about men, you say men are wretched, they're sinful. It's inherently theirs. So, and here our Pharisee, he comes to God and he says... I'm righteous. Look at what I've done. Look at, at how good I am. And he presents it, present this to God. He presents it to God. So it's like somebody coming to a king, into the court of a king and says, I'm a king too. But there is only one king. So, that's what our Pharisee is doing in his prayer. And maybe you think to yourself, I'm not like a Pharisee. I'm not coming to God in prayer and I'm not saying to him, oh, I'm so good, oh Lord, command me or do this or that. Just look at how 
how long I've been attending the church or not, how, how, how good I've been last week or so on and so forth. Maybe you say that. If you say that, you commit the very sin of the Pharisee. You know why? Because Pharisee looked at other people and he said, I'm not like them, I'm better than them. And he made that comparison the foundation of his acceptance in the eyes of the, of the Lord. If you look at the Pharisee and you say, oh, Pharisee is bad, I'm better than the Pharisee, you make this comparison the foundation of your acceptance in the eyes of the Lord. So don't make this mistake. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to this Pharisee. Better look for the same problem in your heart. See if you are in faith. If you come to God with a humble heart. The Pharisee thanked God that he wasn't like others. And he made that comparison, the foundation of his prayer. And it's a tragedy if you come to God on the basis of how worthy you are. Let me just repeat this because it's very important and foundational for Christianity. If you are a Christian here, and if you come to God on the basis of how good you are, you've misunderstood the whole message of the gospel. If you do that, you would talk to God now and then. You would treat God as a mere man. Because you would think that you can, by yourself, reach out to His standard of righteousness. You can actually be accepted in His court. With your good deeds. We need to understand that God is a holy and righteous God. He's absolutely unique. There is only one God that nobody can, can, can be compared to Him. We just sang a song, Behold our God. And, uh, we, we said how awesome He is that He sustains the whole universe in His hands. And so forth. And, so, uh, and, so, and, and, and I want us to understand that, you know, sometimes... Because we think that we, we're good, we can put ourselves on the same level with God. We compare ourselves with, with God and we say, yeah, God is good, but I'm good too. We forget about His uniqueness. Let us not do this. Men are not holy. Men are not righteous. Men tend to think that God is like them when He is not executing His justice over their wicked deeds right away. Let me explain what I'm trying to say. You know, sometimes we do, many times we do some something wrong. When we sin, we, we do wrong. We, we do something what, what is opposite to God's nature. We try to dethrone Him by our sins because we say, my sin is good and there is more good in my sin than there is in God. And you know, when, when, when you do that, when you sin, you should have been punished right away, right there. I don't know, struck by lightning or something like this. And if you don't have that, if you don't experience any punishment for your sin, you might think, God is okay with my sin. I've sinned, but nothing happened. So probably it's not that big of a sin. But... Please, don't mistake God's patience for His unrighteousness. He's patient with us. He gives us time because Christ died on the cross. And He still gives us time. He's patient with us. And He says, come to me. Repent and believe in the gospel. So don't mistake 
His patience with His unrighteousness. Don't ever think, oh, since I haven't been punished, punished, then probably it's not big of a sin. It's big of a sin. Don't look at sin in yourself. Look at what sin did to Christ. Measure your sin by what it did to Christ. It nailed Him to the cross. So, that's a very important thing to realize that God is patient with us when we sin. And if you're a Christian today, if you sin, repent and ask God for mercy. And He will give you mercy if you ask in Christ's name. God is righteous. What, is, what does it mean that God is righteous? It means that He is right in everything He does, in everything He commands, in everything He requires, and in everything He brings into our lives. If you are complaining, and you are saying, Oh, why God? Why? Why is this happening in my life? You are not satisfied. You are not content with the righteousness of God. You say, it's not right what you are doing. But it's wrong to say that because God is right. Maybe it's you who are wrong and not God. And, and you see, don't think that sin can go unpunished or unnoticed before all sin and righteous God. He will judge the living and the dead and everything will be brought to rightness. For God the righteous one will repay each one for what he has done here on earth. That's what Revelation says. Remember the wording of Jesus when he said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus said, if your righteousness does not exceed the righteousness of the Pharisee, who is praying in our parable, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. But wait, I have a question. Pharisee was a good guy. Pharisee observed the law. He actually observed more than the law required. Law never required fasting twice a week. But he did it. Law didn't require tithing from some minor things, but he did it. Why was he not good in the sight of God? Didn't he keep the law as best as he could? I think it's a legitimate and good question. And it brings me to the second point of my sermon today. The wretched man. So we've looked at the righteous God. Now let's look at the wretched man. Let's go back to our tax collector whom we left standing in the temple. He's praying there. Let's, let's look at his prayer. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The first thing he does is that he recognizes that God is the only righteous in the universe. How can I say that? Because right after saying God, the tax collector says, be merciful to me. And he says, I'm a sinner. So right after saying God, he says, I'm a sinner. It's like, you know, when you come into the presence of the Lord, and when you see His holiness, it reveals your sinfulness. It's if you come in the presence of the holy God of the Bible. Not just self-made God, whom you call God of the Bible, but who's not God of the Bible. If you really come... So the God of the Bible, you realize who He is, how holy He is. You can't help but realize that you are sinful. And that's what our man, our tax collector in the, in the parable says. Be merciful to me, a sinner. 
You see, tax collector was a sinful man, but he was obviously a better theologian than the Pharisee because he realized his utter sinfulness. He realized that he was a wretched man, sinful man. I want to ask you how many times you pray to God as a Pharisee and how many times you pray to God as a tax collector. Maybe some of you would say, wait, tax collector was a sinner. I'm a saved person. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Tax collector was just a sinner. But you know what? If you read the Bible, you will see that the Apostle Paul, for example, sides himself with our tax collector. And he says in Romans, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. It's the believer speaking. Believer says, I know that nothing good dwells in me. How come? Wait a minute. How can Apostle Paul say these things? I think he can say these things because he realizes, apart from Christ... I'm still sinful. It's only in Christ, when I'm in Christ, when I'm united with Christ, that I'm righteous. Outside of Christ, I by myself can do no good thing in the eyes of the Lord. I'm completely depraved. I'm completely sinful. All my thoughts, deeds, intentions. But you see, our tax collector, you might think, Wait a minute, how could he ask for mercy before Christ died on the cross? Right? Because here Christ is telling this parable. He hasn't, he didn't die, he didn't uh, go to Golgotha yet. He's on his way to Golgotha. But he didn't die yet. But tax collector still says, God, be merciful to me. On what basis can this tax collector ask for mercy? Christ didn't shed his blood yet. It's on the basis of God's promises. You see, the whole Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, give us promises of God that if we repent and believe, God will show His mercy to us. And all these promises, they were fulfilled in Christ when He came and died on the cross and resurrected on the third day. Maybe our tax collector thought about Psalm 28, where David said, Blessed be the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. Maybe he remembered Jeremiah, where Jeremiah said, With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. Maybe he thought about Habakkuk, when Habakkuk said, In wrath, Lord, remember mercy. Maybe he thought about Ezekiel. Where Ezekiel said that God has no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather He finds pleasure when they turn from their sinful ways and live. So you see, the Old Testament is filled with promises of mercy. And do you see the difference between Pharisee and the tax collector? Pharisee, in his prayer, in his address to God, he relied on his works. Tax collector relied on the Word of God. He relied on the promises of God. Tax collector relies on his works. Uh, sorry, Pharisee relies on his works. Tax collector relies on the promises of God. One more thing I want to uh, draw your attention to is that tax collector is very personal in his prayer. He's not looking around. When he's on his knees and when he's praying to God, he's not saying, okay, 
Johnny did that, Jeremy did that, uh, that person did that. Hmm, I'm actually quite good, you know, Lord, I haven't done all of those things. I'm pretty good. No, he, he doesn't say that. He doesn't compare himself to anybody. He looks at himself and he looks at God. And let me assure you, when you do that, when you look at yourself and you look at God, you will join the cry of a tax collector. I don't know when you last time said, God be merciful to me, but... That's my constant prayer. What is the basis of my acceptance in the eyes of the Lord? Mercy of God shown in Christ Jesus. There is nothing else I can bring in my hands to the Lord and say, that's the basis, look at how good it is. There is nothing that I can bring in my hands to the Lord. And that's, that's, one of the, that's what one of the hymns say, says. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's the motto of a Christian. We come to, to God and we cling to the cross. That's, a, that's, the, that's the only foundation of our acceptance in the eyes of the Lord. You see, the problem with the Pharisee was that he made righteousness out of his good deeds. He relied on his righteousness as a claim for salvation. You see... We do some righteous things because God gives us this gift. He allows us, He empowers us to do something good. But our righteousness will never, ever measure the standard of God's righteousness. You see, Apostle Paul's righteousness never measured up to the God's standard of righteousness. Apostle Peter's? No. The author of the Gospel of Luke, Luke's righteousness never reached the standard of God's righteousness. But our Pharisee, he says, my righteousness is enough for me to be accepted in the eyes of the Lord. It's actually an abomination in the eyes of God to see how people make their righteousness, their good deeds, the foundation of their right standing before God. It's not acceptable for God to see people justifying themselves. It's not man's job. It's not our job to justify. It's only Christ who is the justifier of all the earth. He justifies the people. We cannot do that. And you know, maybe, let me help you with understanding how sinful and wretched we are. Maybe you say, yes, yes, but it's like in the study that which I presented in the introduction. Let me give you some more details about that. Can any man on planet earth come to God and say, Yes, God, I do match your standard in my thoughts, in my feelings, in my deeds, in my plans. Every minute of my life, I devote all myself to you. Can anybody say that? And if you cannot, you don't measure up to his standard, which means you're sinful. You sin against God when you put yourself over God. I think... All of us do that every day. Bible says that we do that every day. So, all of us are sinful. And if you say, oh, I think there was a day when I didn't sin. Um, I have a news for you. It's not right. It's your judgment. It's you just to find yourself. Because it's only in Christ that we are righteous. And nobody can do anything good apart from Christ. And you see, 
If you say that I'm okay with God apart from Christ, I think I can by myself do good deeds and live up to the standard of God, then you don't need God. If you can measure up to the standard of God, then you don't need God because you can achieve it on your own. Why do you need Christ then? We need Christ because we're sinful and we cannot do anything apart from Christ. But if you say that you can, you don't need God. You see, when we come to Christ, we say, people outside this church, they need Christ. But have you ever realized that we need Christ even more? Because we realize how sinful we are and how holy He is and how much we need Him. So the longer you walk with Christ, the longer you walk with God, the more you need Him. Let's go back to our tax collector and see what Jesus says about him. It says in verses 13 and 14, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. And here is what Jesus says about him after he has prayed. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Wow! How could this wretched man, how could this sinful man be proclaimed as righteous in the eyes of the Lord? What did he do? He just said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's it. And Jesus says, I tell you this, man went down to his house justified. How come? How can he be in the right standing before God? Even the Pharisee, with all his good deeds... Is not justified. What happened here? Why was the sinful man declared righteous? This brings us to the final point of the sermon today, which is reconciling God-man. You know, the answer to the question of how that sinful and wretched man could be accepted in the sight of God, in the court of God, and be proclaimed as righteous, is found in the one who told the story. The one who told this story, Jesus Christ, is the answer to this question. You see, man can be proclaimed righteous before God only on the basis of perfect righteousness. Only on the basis of God's righteousness. I've already said that. But I haven't said that there is only one man who ever lived who reached out to that standard. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only man who fulfilled all the law. Who never sinned. Not once. Not in his intentions, not in his thoughts, not in his ideas, not in his plans, not in his deeds. He never looked down at somebody. He was never discontent with what God brought to his life. He was completely, perfectly holy. And we can be Proclaimed as righteous only if we are united with Christ. How can we be united with Christ? If we repent and believe in Him. If we come to God and we recognize that we are wretched. God is holy. There is a huge gap between us. And it's only in Christ that we can be united with Him. It's only in Christ that we can be reconciled with God. Do you remember what service the tax collector and the Pharisee were attending? It was the atonement offering service. What it means 
is this, that it was the service when the lamb without any blemish or spot was slain and his blood was sprinkled about the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. It was the symbol of the forgiveness of the sins of the people of Israel. You see, there is no remission of sin without shedding of blood. So, the blood of the Lamb was shed so that the sins of Israelites could be removed. And that would be repeated every year. But it was just a symbol pointing to Christ. When Christ finally came, He paid the full price. And it says in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. You see what he's saying here? What Apostle Paul is saying here is this. God had to send His Son to this earth so that He could fulfill the law and then die. For those who would repent and believe. So that we could be dressed up in His righteousness. The only righteousness that is worth talking about is Jesus' righteousness. It's not ours. Don't bring your righteousness to the court of the Holy God. It's going to be just... It's going to be looked at as a filthy rags. As uh, Prophet Isaiah said. You can approach God only on the basis... Of perfect righteousness, which is Jesus' righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus is the only basis for a sinful man to be justified before righteous God. And Christ Jesus provides this righteousness for us. We can, we can get dressed up in this righteousness if we plead for mercy. Do you see the magnificent picture of salvation of God in this parable? It amazes me that one of the facets of God's love, namely mercy, is available only to sinners. Have you ever thought about that? I gleaned that thought from Spurgeon when I was reading one of his sermons. And he said, can you imagine? Mercy is available only to sinners. It's not available to angels. It's not available to demons. Why? Because angels never sin. Angels don't need the forgiveness of sins because they always, eternally worship God. And they never sin. So, they never experience that facet of God's love. They never experience mercy. When God doesn't give us what we deserve, but gives us something what we don't deserve. Demons never experience mercy. First thing, because they never repent. Second, because Christ never died for them. They don't have any basis for mercy. We can plead for mercy because Christ died for sinners. Christ didn't die for angels. Christ didn't die for demons. Christ died for sinners. So can you imagine, God discloses one of His unique facets of love, namely mercy, to us. You know, when you read in Peter, where it says that angels want to look into it, they want to see it, they want to experience it, they want to understand it, and it's available to us by the Holy Spirit. Will you plead for mercy? 
Have you pled for mercy? Do you do it every day? Do you make yourself available to God? When, when you pray, you have this unique, unspeakable privilege to experience God's mercy. When you think back at what you've done and some sins you've committed and some wrong things you've done and then think about gracious God who forgave you in Christ Jesus, if you are a believer here today, then you can experience mercy. Angels don't experience that. Demons don't. You can. And you see, if you are not a believer here today, it's still available to you. You have to come, repent, and believe. That's what Jesus says. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come, and I will give you rest. And mercy is there in that rest. His sacrifice on the cross makes His righteousness, perfect righteousness, available to sinners. Christ promises in John 6.37, Whoever comes to me, he will never cast out. If you come to Christ, He will never cast you out. If you come to Christ and beg Him for mercy, if you join yourself with the tax collector and ask God for mercy, He'll give you mercy. That tax collector went home justified. The only justifier of the mankind proclaimed Him as just. These are the words that every man wants to hear. I am just. Can you imagine, Lord says, if you repent and if you believe in Christ, you are righteous. These are the words that everyone wants to hear. Will you go home today justified? Have you been cleansed by the blood of Christ? That's my closing question to you. May God be merciful to us all. And let me close with the word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for the perfect righteousness of Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for this example of the tax collector who pled for mercy, who admitted that you are the only righteous of the universe and that men are sinful. Help us to have the same attitude every day when we come in prayer to you, O oh Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.